Right, you got your Bibles. So I want to just um, share something. Let's just have a look. How many of you know water is essential to life? And therefore, the symbolism of the Holy Spirit as water is quite pertinent because just as water is essential to life, our bodies are made up of 75% water, the earth very much the same. And without water, nothing could live. And without the water of the Spirit, we could not live. The only reason why we're alive is because of Him. And that's why the prophecies of the Old Testament often misunderstood right throughout the Old Testament. The conditions and terms, and I know you know this, I'm saying it for those who maybe don't know, is that the terms and conditions of the law was this. If you obey, the first thing that will happen, I will send rain in its season. And because for them as farming rural communities, rain was essential because it would water the earth and it would cause the crops to grow, the grass to grow, the animals could eat. So it was directly related to the economy, to the economy, to their well-being, I mean, essential to their lives. And God speaking to the children of Israel said, I want you to understand that the first thing that will happen When you are disobedient, he said, the heavens will be like brass, the earth will become like iron, because I will withhold the rain. And if you continue in your disobedience, because the result of the withholding of the rain is that there will be drought. If you continue with your disobedience, it will turn to famine. If you continue with your disobedience, what will happen to that is a consequence of disobedience. You will be invaded by other nations. You will be conquered. You will go into exile. If you insist and persist in your disobedience, you will be utterly destroyed. That's right throughout the Old Testament. Moses himself prophesied that in his song in Deuteronomy 32, but he outlines it in the preceding few chapters. And uh, all of the other prophets pick up on it. In fact, when Elijah said, God said to me, there shall be neither rain nor dew at my word for three and a half years. All Elijah was doing was prophesying the terms and conditions of the law. And so when they repented of their Baal worship and turned back, the sacrifice was consumed with fire. Elijah went to go and pray seven times. And then he says to Ahab the king, you better hitch up your chariot because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Because they had turned as one person back to God, and he said, okay, terms and conditions fulfilled. And he said, here's the rain. Woo. Amen. And so it became such a symbol of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the New Testament. And that's why Isaiah and even Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all three began to speak about, but primarily Isaiah began to speak about, listen, forget the former thing. Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Even now, it's springing forth. And what they were talking about was a different time when Jesus would come and there would be outpourings. There would be rain. And of course, it was the physical, natural rain, but very much he was talking about, and it was then symbolical of the rain of the Holy Spirit. So I will pour water on him who is thirsty. I will cause floods in the wilderness. I will create a way in the desert and a highway, and that highway will be a river. Are you all with me? And so the picture, the symbolism began to change. And so water in the New Testament began to speak of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? And of course, just like in the Old Testament where the physical natural rain would come, it had a direct economical impact. It would change the quality of life. Let me tell you, when there's deluges of the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it does bring other blessing other than us being full and satisfied in Him. 
Amen? There's accompanying things. And so the amazing thing was I know those scriptures, and it's okay. Many times we take it out of context because we sense that God is doing something new in our lives, something new in our churches, maybe even something new in the world. And it's okay. And when I was in the United Kingdom, I was and going to go, I was praying here from morning to night for days and days and days. And then the one afternoon, five o'clock, I got home, put the television on, and I saw that Her Majesty, the Queen of England, had passed away. And immediately that I switched the TV on like that, and I saw that, and I went, oh my gosh, the Queen's died. And immediately the presence of God fell on me again. <sighs> Even though he is inside of me, fell on me. This anointing came on me, and immediately the Holy Spirit said to me, your trip has just taken on greater significance. Within seconds, within seconds, and then into minutes, four pastors, four of our pastors contacted me and said, did you see the queen died? Your trip has just taken on greater significance. I was like, oh my goodness, look at what they're saying. Because when that happened, the Lord said to me, I'm going to do something new. So now I land in Belfast City Airport, and Pastor Kevin Sandbrook picks me up, and he says, you'll never guess what. He said, Prince Charles with Lady Camilla just landed here, and they walked through. And I'm thinking, at the same airport as me? Wow. You know? And I'm going like, so I missed him by two minutes. That sucks. You know? How many of you know it's really rubbish when your timing is out? So I'm like, I'm like a little bit like, like, yeah, it would have been nice if we'd arrived together. We walked out together. Hello, Your Majesty. Hello, John. How are you? You know, it would have been nice. We walked out together and people taking photos and it was like two royal highnesses, you know. So, but I missed him. But anyway, so then Kevin, I said, oh, no, I missed him. So he says, don't worry, you're going to see him now. So I think he's joking. So anyway, we drive into the town. He lives in Hillsborough, a block away from Hillsborough Castle. The king is there entertaining, you know, the government ministers in Ireland and in Northern Ireland and things like that. And I, I don't know. So we parked the car. So he says, come on, where are we going? He says, we're going to see the king. Whew. So we walk around the block. He has all the barricades. There's thousands of people. And they're all singing. And there's, you know, Union Jacks. And there's flowers everywhere. And then he says, let's walk down the road a bit. And, I mean, the barricades go for kilometers. But we only walked about 200 meters. And there's no one. The last lot of the group of people are there. They're all bunched outside the gates. No one there for kilometers. So we walk a little way away. So we've got our own little private party, the three of us. And then he says, it'll be the second car bearing the royal standard. And he says, you'll be here soon. Camera ready, your camera's ready. And then claps and cheers and hurrahs and everything like that. And God save the king. And, and then down he comes, down he comes. I'm going like, oh, yeah, it's the king. Like this, and I mean, he's from here to Jenny. Like, with my camera. And then he does that. It's like, hey, John, how's it? Hello, your majesty. You know, and I got it. And when I'm filming it, I'm thinking, how incredible is this? That the timing, you couldn't plan it better. The timing, I mean, yeah, and there goes the king. And as the king goes past me, the Lord says, you wit you've seen the old, you've now witnessing the new. Yeah. I was like, oh my word, God, what is this about? And you know already for those in ASEP, the trip was just at a different level. The miracles, the healings, everything was just a different, it was just different. Never experienced things that I experienced on that trip. And so God is doing something, and there's a freshness about it. That's the awesome thing about him, is that he's ever new, he's ever fresh, he's never stable. 
Amen? It's one of the reasons why he says, you know, ask for your daily bread. And I know it's provision, but in the tab, I'm preaching too much now because I'm having fun. But it's all your fault because you're drawing it out of me, okay? So, but just keep drawing. Don't, don't stop drawing. But it's, that's why that fresh bread had to be baked daily in the holy place, you know, in the temple. Because after a day, bread is stale. Amen? So he gives us continual fresh bread in his presence. And so there's something happening, and I think it's an extension of what we're witnessing in those places. Pastors Mike and Debbie phoned me the other day talking about the upcoming trip to do another conference with them in September this year. And they were saying, since you were here, from that time, everything's gone up a level. And they said the healings, the miracles, the presence of God. And she said, when it changed to the 1st of January, something else changed. And she said, every week, people are coming to church from the area, unsaved, and they're giving their lives to Jesus since then. Come on, give God a hand. Amen. And so, you know, so this is part of the whole thing this morning. God's doing something fresh. Amen. So in the natural Floods of water, too much water can be disastrous. And, and we're witnessing that here in South Africa. And I believe New Zealand is also experiencing you know, damaging tornadoes and hurricanes and things like that. In the Bible, you know, deluges when they come, swollen, flooded rivers represent trials, problems, even hindrances and attacks from the enemy. So that's the natural part of life. And so David says in Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. He says, the floods engulf me. The Song of Songs, Solomon says this. He said, he's talking about his love and God's love for him and, you know, his love for his love. And he says, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Now, how about, you know, right there, there are times when the enemy would come in as a flood. And when things would want to overpower us, the first thing that often happens is it affects our love for God. Because we begin to question. begin to question God's credibility. We begin to question His proximity to us. We begin to question ourselves, what have I done? Or, you know, have I done something wrong? But it's amazing. It's amazing. God says this in Isaiah 43 verse 2. If you pass through the waters... These kind of deep waters. If you pass through them, now I want you to notice, don't stay in the flood. Pass through them. Is that okay? I like what one preacher said. Somebody in his congregation came to him and said, Pastor, I'm going through a hard time. He said, that's it. He said, that's it. Just keep going. Isn't that right? So the wonderful thing is there's two symbols used here, and the one is water and the other is fire, and we know with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there is a fourth man, because the fourth man appeared with him in the fire. Now, I want you to know the fourth man is with you in the floods of trials, because he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Amen? So he's walking through the flood. That's a good place to say Amen. So you might feel like you're going through something. I want you to know He is with you. Amen. Amen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I know He's inside of you. But He said, I will be with you. In you and outside of you. We don't only serve a Jesus who's in us. He's external to us and He's with us. 
So when you walk through the water today, maybe, just maybe there's some people are going like, okay, it's been a little bit tough and that kind of thing. It's okay. When you walk through the water, see, he is with you. He never left you. Maybe you feel like you're overwhelmed and you can't do it. I want you to know he's walking with you and, and maybe the miracle pool this morning is for you and it'll be symbolic. The fourth man will be in the water with you saying, come, I'm walking with you. That famous song that says, put your hand in the hand of the man who walked on the waters, the man of Galilee. Isn't that right? And so he's with you. Come on, tell the person next to you, he's with you. Even if it's floods, even if it's fire, he's with you. He's with you. But we trust in God for more than that this morning, and that is that something changes. Very often water can represent bitterness, and the bitterness of captivity. Remember the Israelites walking through the wilderness, they came to the bitter, bitter waters of Mara. The bitter waters of Mara, and they couldn't drink it. And again, they get angry and upset with Moses. Listen, I just want you to know that if you are experiencing bitter circumstances in life, don't get angry with the leader. Amen. Is that okay? It's part of the deal, I know. But they became angry with Moses, and God showed Moses a bush or a tree. And, of course, all theologians say it was a piece of wood which basically represented the cross. And when Moses threw the piece of wood or the cross into the bitter waters, the waters became sweet and they could drink it. Let me tell you, the solution to the bitterness of life is the cross of Jesus Christ. The answers that he brings. Come on, it'll give you peace peace that surpasses understanding, love that defies any knowledge. It will flow like a river. You know, it's that overwhelming, incredible peace, the peace of God, that love, the acceptance you have in Him. He will change the bitterness of life into something that's sweet. Amen? And I want you to know, He didn't take them out of the wilderness, in the wilderness. Right there where they were, something became sweet in the experience. Listen, the answer is not to change your geographical position, not to go and find another country or anything like that. Change your job, you know, find another husband or another wife. That's not the answer. The sweetness that you're looking for is in him. It's in Christ. Amen. He's a sweet taste in our mouth. So David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. So he can change the bitterness. And very often the bitterness of life, the things that we go through, almost feels like we're captured and captivated and ensnared. And David says he will loose my soul from the foulest snare. I mean, isn't God good to release us? You know, even the great apostle Paul, when he was in prison, he said, yeah, other than these chains, I'm just like you. I'm Christ's freed man. Amen? Confinement doesn't define you. Captivity doesn't define you because you have a liberty in the spirit. Amen? The liberty in the spirit that defies the restrictive work of the enemy. However, God is a deliverer. Amen? So when Israel eventually went into exile, God was so gracious that he raises up two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then later Daniel. And so his people are not without the voice of God in the worst circumstances of their life. And so, you know, Ezekiel is sitting there amongst the exiles. 
In other words, right in the worst of your circumstances, God's voice is still available to you. But they didn't consult the prophets. You know what I'm saying? So he's sitting there amongst them. Daniel gets these incredible revelations, becomes probably the one of the most accurate, powerful prophets towards the people of Israel. But listen to this. I think that this is absolutely brilliant, where Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. So this gives the context to the book of Ezekiel. He says, in my 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles. So he was among them. But he had a different perspective. When I was among the exiles by the Kiba River, the heavens were opened, and I saw, I saw visions of God. Isn't that amazing? I want you to know, where was he sitting? I was sitting amongst the exiles by the Kiba River. You keep that in mind. So there's Ezekiel. Exiles are all around him. He's sitting there. By the Kiba River. And the exiles are doing something. We will read about it now. And their tormentors are there. The Babylonians. And Ezekiel sitting there. Minding his own business. He's not getting into the negativity of the country. Or of the economy. And then he sees visions of God. It's amazing, isn't it? And the one vision that he sees, he sees them as a valley of dry bones, skeletal remains. Once a mighty army destroyed, bones scattered. It's like a people graveyard rather than an elephant graveyard, you know? And then, can these bones live? You know the story. And then he prophesies over them. So that was one vision, sitting by the river Kiba, swinging his legs over the bank, diddling with the water. And then he looks up, and he goes like, wow, see the temple. From the throne, over the threshold, flowing towards the east, water trickling out. And then an angel comes and says, hey, Ezekiel, come. And he measures off the water. He says, walk through the river. And he walks through. This goes like ankle deep. Wow. And then the angel says, come, let's measure another thousand cubits. He says, walk through. Oh, my goodness. It's knee deep. Goes back to the bank. And then the angel says, come, another thousand cubits. Oh, my goodness. It's waist deep. Come, let's go another thousand cubits. A mighty river that you can't swim across. Takes him back out of the bank. They walk down the river and he says, have a look. There's trees, there's fruit, there's fish. And then he sees at the, the confluence of the river or the, the estuary of the river, it flows into the Dead Sea. And he says, it makes the salty water sweet and drinkable. Isn't that awesome? And so this is what he's seeing, visions of God. So he's not seeing the river of captivity, the river of bitter experience. He's not seeing the river of barrenness. He's not seeing the river of sickness. He's not seeing, he looks up and he sees a river flowing from the presence of God. Down the mountain the river flows. It brings refreshing wherever it goes. So that's what he's seeing. He's, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But now his fellow countrymen, it's recorded in the psalm, Psalm 137. And so it tells us in Psalm 137, the whole psalm, the whole psalm in uh, Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon, 
there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. Let's go to verse 2. He says, there on the poplars we hang our harps, the trees that were growing next to the river Kiber. So they hung their harps there. They wouldn't sing because our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing for us one of the songs of Zion. And they said, they were saying, now this is happening around the prophet. They saying, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we praise? How can we rejoice? We're in captivity. How can we do that? And you can read the rest of the psalm because then it becomes an imprecatory psalm where they're saying, Lord, kill these Babylonians. Kill their kids. Kill them. I know it sounds rough, but they used to pray like that those days. In other words, do to them what they did to us. Get them, God. But anyway, the point is this. The point is this. They were saying, we can't sing. We're in captivity. But there was a man sitting right there that was not seeing all of this, oblivious, he sees a river of God ever increasing, deepening. And there was a prisoner living as a freedman because of the presence of God. Amen? Listen, you know, before we get free from things, whatever, we need to get free in here and here and realize our freedom in Christ. Then it'll manifest. Is that okay? And so this morning, maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you feel like, yowza, I've been in bondage, I've been in whatever, then God has got a solution. Amen? If the waters of life are bitter, if the water of life is captivity, let me just tell you of another example. In 2 Samuel 5, verses 17 to 21, on two occasions, the Philistines came up against David when they heard he was being appointed and anointed as king. And it tells us that when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Their stronghold, you know, that's like on the border. Now the Philistines had come up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go out and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered and says, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Perazim, and they defeated them. And then David says, wow, wow, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. And I want you to know the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Not so they could worship them, but because they would be made of gold and silver and other things. In other words, they got the bounty of the enemy because God broke out like many waters. So maybe just maybe this morning when you walk through, for you that might be Baal Perizim. Woo. And the things that you've lost, God will restore. I love the song that we sang. Love is restoring everything we lost. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I have, come on, just give me a good amen. Like, amen. yeah, yeah, you're with me. Woo. No, no. I mean, I can feel the anointing in that. Amen. All right. So 2 Samuel chapter 5. And uh, so here's another great scripture, and I like the way once Prophet Quibus interpreted it, but Isaiah 59 verse 19 says, so shall they fear my name. This is the Lord speaking about his people when he shows up as the deliverer, and he says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun, which is from the east. You know, in other words, from morning to night, they're going to be praising God. Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. When the enemy shall come in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. 
Okay, that is, I'm talking about Isaiah 59 verse 19, okay? So I like the way Prophet Kerbis once translated that. He says, when the enemy will come in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. He said, just knowing the scriptures, he said, all you've got to do is just move the comma a little bit and it, it becomes something completely new. Okay, so put, rather put in the King James. So in other words, when the enemy would come in like a flood, the Spirit of God would raise up a standard. Isn't that good? Yeah. When the enemy shall come in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of God shall lift up a standard against him. That's like Baal Perizim, because the enemy came. Like a flood, God broke out. Baal Perizim. Maybe this morning when you walk through the water, for you it'll be prophetic of God's going to break out for you like many waters against your enemy. Because he came against you. God will raise up a standard that his spirit will just wash it all away like a flood. You know, the flood of Noah wiped out wickedness. And it becomes the symbol of our baptism. It symbolizes our baptism. How many of you know when they crossed through the Red Sea and the waters closed behind them, in one single act of God, he wiped out the enemies of Israel. Amen? And so this morning, maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like the flood. Maybe it's like the exodus. And God's saying, that thing that has pursued you, that thing that you couldn't shake, that depression that you couldn't cope with, that sickness that you couldn't deal with, I'm going to judge that this morning. And maybe when you walk through, that will be the flood of his judgment. You know, it'll be deliverance for you. It's salvation for you. It's amazing how one thing can be one for one party and another thing for another. And so the flood of Genesis, the flood of Genesis was destruction for the wicked, but salvation for the righteous. The pillar of fire in Egypt, for Israel it was light, but for the Egyptians it was darkness. Come on, God will use the same emblem that you may be experiencing, the flood and all this kind of thing. God will use the same thing and he'll say, I'm going to judge that thing. He tried to flood you out, I'm going to drown him in his own flood. The other incredible thing is this, because I really feel just the way that God is, there's just a new freshness, obviously, there's something. The prayer meetings are just so incredible on a Saturday morning, it's amazing. It's just there's something fresh, it's a, it's a new hunger. And you know, with the new hunger comes a new response from God. It's amazing. And so the amazing thing is, when, and it's recorded in, is it Deuteronomy and, and then in Joshua? Numbers, numbers maybe, I don't know. And then in the book of Joshua, where God begins to speak to Moses, and he said, right, you're going to cross the Jordan, you're going to enter the promised land. And then, of course, God said to Moses, you're not going to do it, but Joshua's going to lead them. And there was a whole preparation thing that they were to do, the two mountains, and Gerizim and, and Ebal, and half the tribes go there, half the tribes go there. These pronounced curses, these pronounced blessings, take rocks out, put up monuments, whitewash them. There's a whole thing. It's quite interesting. That's, that's where John the Baptist was baptizing when Jesus came to baptize. right there. Right there, right there. And what the symbolism of it was this, is that, hey, you guys are crossing the Jordan into a new promised land in Christ. Spiritual territory. Never mind, that was just bonus. That is not included in your offering. Everything that's dessert, we'll take another offering later. That was dessert. And uh, so the amazing thing is when the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land, they were not the same people that they were when they left Egypt. 
And often we go through periods where it is bitter, where it is tough, where it is difficult, where things have gone wrong, when it feels like I don't have God's attention. Like, why is it that I always get the raw deal? I look at others and everything just happens seamlessly for them. Everything for me is a fight and a struggle. Negative things happen. Why is that? And you know, every one of us is on a personal, individual track with God. Amen? Tailor-made for us. And I don't know if you've noticed that very often God doesn't steer you around issues. He takes you through issues. How many of you know? I mean, he could have taken Israel around the wilderness or through very quickly, you know. But they spend 40 years in a place that they could have crossed in a few weeks. 40 years, you know, in a place. But I want to tell you, the day came when they crossed the Jordan and God did something supernatural to show, I'm going to go ahead of you. The priests carry the ark. As soon as their feet touch the Jordan, it builds up on either side. They walk through. They take the rocks out the middle. They put up a monument to God. In other words, God is saying, I am going ahead of you. And when they entered into the promised land, they were not the people that left Egypt. Here's the deal. The Lord spoke to me early this morning, and I keep telling the Lord, you can tell me during the day. You can tell me in early evening. You don't have to wake me up at three o'clock in the morning and tell me. But anyways, he did around two o'clock, and it was this. Listen, when we walk through the water today, Maybe you have gone through a period of difficulty, but I want to tell you, for you today, it'll be like Jordan, because when you walk through today, you're entering into something, and you're not the same person you were before you faced the trial. You're going in stronger. You're going in more mature. You're going in carrying something greater. Come on, you're going to possess your possessions, inherit your inheritance. Take what belongs to you. Stand up in who you are in Christ. Amen. So when you go through the water, you're not going back across the Jordan again. It's a defining moment like it was for Jacob when he crossed the Jabbok River. When he stood there by the Jabbok River, he had a revelation. He just met the company of angels at a place called Mahanaim. And he saw the angels of God that accompanied him without him even knowing that all the time he was in the difficult period with Laban where he got cheated concerning his wife, the angels of God were with him because he comes to Mahanaim. And Mahanaim says, another company. That's what it means. And when he gets to the Jabbok, so he realizes, God has been with me and God is with me now because he saw the army of angels. And he comes to the Jabbok, which is also like the Jordan, a place of emptying. But before he crosses, he wrestles with God, and forever his walk is changed because he's met with God, and God has dealt with his character. God has dealt with his issues. He's a different man. And when he limps away, the sun rises. It's Peniel because I've seen the face of God. But he's transformed. He becomes the patriarch that God wants him to be. And when he crosses the Jabbok River, he says this, God, when I came this way to go there, I was one company. He said, now I'm crossing this way. I am two companies. In other words, I realize all of heaven is with me. Amen. So this morning, this morning, maybe just, maybe just, it's your pineal. 
Maybe it's because you've been walking in a certain way and God has dealt with you through whatever, you know, by his word, the application of the word in the face of trials. And maybe when you walk through and come out the side, God is saying, I want you to understand. I want you to understand before you walk through there, there's one company, but when you come out the other side, I want you to understand that all of heaven's resources is with you. The armies of heaven is with you. Woo! I want to run through there now. <laughs> the thirst, the thirst that life creates. So anyways, but when you walk through the water, maybe it'll be that for you it's, he makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you besides quiet waters. They drink their full of the abundance of your house and you allow them to drink of the rivers of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life the fountain of life-giving water. In your light, we see light. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And I don't know about you, but the issues of life often, the thing that it does for me just makes me more hungry, more thirsty, more desperate for God. We hate to be in that place of a lack of the sense of his presence. We will lose the sense of his proximity to us, that God is with us. We lose that sense of his presence. And, uh, you know, it's good to just get back and to drink afresh. And so Isaiah 32 verse 15 says this, because God then, when we drink, he creates an overflow. Isaiah 32 verse 15 says, till the spirit is poured on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. This is the Amplified Translation. Verse 20 says, blessed Happy, fortunate are you who cast your seed upon all waters. Cast your seed. That's why I said this morning, let's sow a seed into this meeting this morning. Let's sow a seed towards the move of God. Let's sow a seed to revival. Let's sow a seed to refreshing. Let's sow a seed to God just touching your life and setting you free and changing it from bitterness to sweetness. Let's sow a seed to your physical healing this morning. Amen? And so he says, Blessed, happy, fortunate are you who cast seed upon all waters. When the river overflows its banks and irrigates the land, you who allow the ox and the donkey to roam freely because of the harvest, the abundance. In other words, when the waters are flooding, when the Spirit is moving, sow your seed. There will be such abundance. You don't have to put your cattle and your donkeys in a little hockey and feed them. They can roam and eat on the abundance. Amen. There's refreshing. I love what Psalm 46 verses 4 and 5 says in the Message Bible. Maybe this morning it's refreshing. River fountains splash joy, cooling God's city. The sacred haunt of the Most High. The sacred haunt of the Most High. God lives here. The streets are safe. God at your service from the crack of dawn. Unbelievable. Wow. Amen. And then, of course, there is 2 Kings 5, John chapter 5, as I close. Then there's also, in 2 Kings 5, you know, Naaman the Syrian came to the prophet and he wanted the prophet to come out and lay hands on him. Got all offended when the prophet didn't want to come out. And the servant convinced him, just, just do what the man of God says. Dip yourself seven times in the river. And he goes, hey, in Syria we've got much nicer rivers than this dirty, muddy water. And the servant says, just do what the man of God says. Dips himself seven times in the water, comes out, the leprosy is gone. Isn't that awesome? John chapter 5. 
at uh, the pool of Bethesda. From time to time, the angel of the Lord would go there, the Bible tells us, and stir and trouble the water. And uh, Prophet Kibbutz always used to do this because he was the angel of the Lord in that place. And I'm the angel of the Lord here, and he would stir the water. And you know the story, the first to get in, once the water was stirred, what would happen they would get? So maybe this morning, you need some physical healing. You need something. You need a touch from God. That ailment must go. We've been seeing and experiencing miracles and miracles and miracles and miracles. And we've been ringing that bell quite often. So let's trust God that next Sunday you come here, we ring the bell for you. Amen. 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 That this is a pool of Bethesda for you. That this is like the river where Naaman dipped himself. And he came out cleansed, healed. Last miracle pool that we did, there was a young lady sitting right at the back. And uh, it was weeks and weeks later, she came and said, she said to me, I've never told you this. So I never told you. She said, but we came, it was the first service we ever attended in your church, and you had a miracle pool meeting. She said, excuse the fact that I have to give you this graphic, too much information thing. She said, but I was battling severely with piles. Young lady. And she said, God, I'm so tired as the doctors give me into that. They're done. She said, and, and she's really struggling. And so they came to the service because they heard we were doing miracle pool. I've never told you this story. And she said, I walked through the pool. She says, I went to the bathrooms and I checked. It wasn't healed. So she said, so I joined the queue again. I said, God, I'm going through again and again till you heal me. She, second time she went through, went to the bathroom, completely healed. Amen. Amen. So don't be like Naaman and say, the prophet's got to lay hands on me and prophesy. No, I've been prophesying for a long time now from the word. Amen. And so this comes all the way from Scotland, from the rumbling well, where crowds and crowds of people used to gather on the last night of April, sleeping there next to the bubbling brook that I went in. It's going to be on the video clip that we're going to post. And... Uh, Drinking out of that well, putting their hands in that well, putting water on themselves and getting healed. All manner of sickness and disease. So much so that a king, um, and he brings this honor to the name, a king by the name of King John walled the well off and he kept the healing well for him and his family and kept out the poor people and stopped them from going. But before then, they would crowd there for miracles. Some 200 healing wells in Scotland, 15 of them notable. When I go there in September, I'm going to go and visit another one or two. Hallelujah. Tani Susanna is laying in hospital, and she asked me if I would do this. So I've mixed in the water. Father, I want to thank you that this is holy healing water. This is for you, Tanishi Sun. May you be perfected and healed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are we ready? Are we ready? We're going to walk through the water this morning. It's only this deep. You won't drown. You'll come into the water, walk through. I'll lay hands on you on the other side. But I want you to come through the water with an expectation. And come claiming. Don't. 
come with a thing and say, well, I want Pastor John to lay hands on me and prophesy over me. I may or I may not, so I don't want you to be disappointed. I want you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Water is a symbol, and uh, we do it every time that we baptize people and uh, get ready to come through. But we're going to add some anointing oil. Hallelujah. So there's anointing oil in. There's water from the rumbling well. I laid hands and stirred it. We're ready for miracles. I want to tell you honestly, how many of you have noticed that I'm much better since I came back from the UK? How many of you have noticed? Because I went and I put my hands in that water and I said, Jesus, if hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people could come here by faith and touch and drink this water, I can. Amen? I kept my hands in it, let that ice cold water in it. I drank the water. I put it over my head. I did whatever I could as an act of faith. I filled the water bottle. We prayed, Pastor Mike and I. We said, God, would you open these healing wells again? The day I left, the Scottish government puts it on their Facebook page advertising the healing wells in Scotland. Isn't that incredible? A secular, secular, liberal government says, hey, and I know that they're doing it for tourist purposes, but why would they? On the day I leave, just after we've prayed, that God would influence them to say, hey, you know, visit the healing wells. Isn't that awesome? Amen. What I want you to do right now is I just want you to start engaging with the Lord. Is that okay? And I want you to determine. You can come through for everything that I preached. Everything. Every single thing. You can say, God, I'm thirsty. God, I'm hungry. God, I'm desperate. God, this is how I feel like this. God, and I need healing, and I need breakthrough, and I need refreshing. So whatever it is, I want you to come through. Is that right? We'll lay hands on you and just bless you as we go through. Everybody happy? Amen.